Welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. It's been a pretty pretty somber week, huh? Yes, it has. Um, we're going to get right into it here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this up front, that we get this podcast and that Event Hubs as a whole is typically a place for people to escape from everything going on. Uh, so you can go ahead and skip this segment if it's too much for you. We get that. This is weighing very heavily on a lot of people. Um, and if it's more than you can handle, it's all good. You know, um, and I want to be clear here uh, that I'm speaking for myself when I say these things. I'm not speaking for Event Hubs. We're a company made up of multiple individuals, so I can only speak for myself. Um, what's currently happening takes me back to Philando Castile in 2016. Uh, where I felt he was murdered by a police officer, and it's one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life. Philando worked at a school serving children lunches, and he had memorized the 500 students' names and their allergies, so they wouldn't eat food. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> they would not eat food that would cause him problems. He was shot at seven times, with five of them hitting him, killing him in his car in front of his girlfriend and their four-year-old daughter. The images in this video still haunt me to this very day. The police officer who shot him in his car got a not guilty verdict. I'm going to state this again for emphasis. I feel strongly he was murdered. He did nothing to warrant being shot at a point blank range and killed. It was disgusting and it was horrific. Some people disagree with my viewpoint on this and they can feel however they want to. I watched the video. You can watch it too if you want to see how absolutely sickening it is. And that was back in 2016. Four years later, black people still feel fear for their lives when having encounters with police in our country. They're terrified. We need changes. When we need changes, I look to people who are smarter than me and more educated with me on the, these subjects than I am for how to find it and figure out what changes need to be made. Um, there are so many things we can do. Uh, and I hate just listing off problems and things that are wrong without having solutions. And, and one thing I know that is going to sound weird to some people out there, and it's but it's something I practice and I very much believe in, is voting. Um, voting makes a difference. Please go out and do it. Um, I know some people consider it an inconvenience. Most young people don't even bother to do it. Um, but it does make a difference, especially in local elections. And referring to someone else who... Again, knows way more about this stuff, um, but I put it up on my Twitter uh, timeline. I put it up on the official Event Hubs uh, timeline. That's Barack Obama. He put a message up about this, um, and he spoke about how you can change lives with your vote, and hopefully you can save lives with it too. Black lives matter. We have to find better ways than this. It's truly awful and horrendous what's happening to black people in America, and it should not be happening now or ever again. This can be so overwhelming, everything happening. It can be hard to function and keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I, all I can think to do is be proactive and continue to do the things that we've heard will make a difference. That is what we can do. So I, I this is heavier than we usually get here on the pod. I, I, I just, I don't have good words for this beyond this. I'm, I'm at a loss for so many things that are happening right now. Uh, in the, I'm sad. I'm horrified. I I want changes. Yeah. That seems to be a uh, a pretty common thread for people right now, in that 
it's it's clear that something's something big is going on, and a lot of parts of it are very um, very obviously out there and in front of people's faces, and yet there aren't a lot of mm, obvious answers as to how to. I don't know, go through it and figure it all out. And obviously I don't have those answers either. Um, I can, I can speak to how it feels to just, you know, be here right now. And, and, and just that feeling of like, I don't, I don't exactly know how to, how to move through this. And, um, there's a sense of anxiety, um, uh, from the uncertainty and there's a sense of, um, excitement for me in that as horrible as a lot of this stuff has been, there, I think that we as a country are now, there are enough people, enough eyes on this particular situation and subject that I don't, I don't see it not changing from here on out. I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know the magnitude of it, but I think there's going to be a positive movement that comes out of all, out of all of this. And that's something that I've been sort of resorting to as, as a, you know, you feel a little bit too lost at times and, and unable to articulate how you feel or why you feel and such. And so, um, another big thing that I've been holding on to is the, uh, the specific community that we belong to in the fighting game community. There's a lot of different ways, uh, or a lot of different groups of people that meet together and form communities. And the FGC is one of the absolute most diverse that you can get because it's, it's over a, um, over a common interest and that, and it's something that it reaches out to so many different people and so many different walks of life and so many different backgrounds, right? Like, you can divide um, the, the the people in the FGC in any which way, and you'll find an example of it. You know, uh, so so it's one of those things that that does unite us. And in a time where the the divides are feeling like they're the uh, the chasms are as big as they've ever been in certain respects, and there are certainly examples of of uh, people coming together through all of this too. So that's good. But there's a certain a certain feeling of division right now, and and I I resort back to the FGC and uh, and the connections that I've made and that I've seen here as a little bit of a respite as we go all through this. You don't want to um, cover all of this up and and treat it like it's not happening. You don't want to run away from it. You need to walk through it and get through it and and have this change, whatever it's going to ultimately be, have it happen. Um, and so I'm not trying to avoid, but it is nice to, you, you know, you got to get that fuel back in the tank some way. You have to have those positive feelings moving through it so that you, you know, you don't burn out. And, um, and so that's what I've been trying to focus on through all of this, but, uh, it's rough, man. So for all of you, you know, wherever you're at and however this is affecting you, um, just remember that we are still part of a community and that, that, you know, it reaches across divides and, um, and hopefully the best comes out of this. So. Yeah. Um, it's, it's paralyzing when you have this in your life all the time. And it makes you not want to go anywhere or do anything. It's, it, it's just hard to deal with. Um, but there are smart people putting out good things to do that we can all do, that we can all get invested wherever you're coming at this from there are things we can do to make this better and what's not okay right now is saying things are good you know and just fine as is that's not acceptable we can be better than this we we should not be losing people in this way and we can we can be better than this 
And I, I, again, I don't have all the answers, but again, look to smarter people than me that do have them and, and start modeling those in your life and getting them out there. And, and we can, we can do better. You don't need to venture very far or wide in the fighting game community to hear about obstacles that arise in network play. But after watching the Blink All-Star Challenge last weekend, Catalyst has a list of online event perks that you may not have realized were staring you right in the face. Also, we find lessons in unlikely places as Jobin and an Adam Sandler film give us a crash course on breaking the rules to break new ground, all on this week's episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. Okay, so next up we wanted to get into Jobin, um, and you actually had uh, watched some of his footage here against Tokido. Uh, what did you see there? So, yeah, actually I got to back up a little bit. Um, <laughs> all right, so now we're transitioned over to back into the fighting game realm and everything. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so this was something that I felt was both entertaining, but also uh, it opened my mind a little bit as to how to approach fighting games, I guess, and in, in, in general. Uh, and there were two things that I watched over the last week that I didn't think would have much to do with each other, but I found some threads that connect them, and uh, and I wanted to share with uh, with you and, and with our audience here. The first thing, which, like, as you said, uh, I watched some Jobin footage um, of him playing Street Fighter V, Nikali versus Tokido's Akuma. And for those of you that don't know, Jobin is a nut, or at least mm -hmm. he comes across that way. And he's this kind of crazy, chaotic player that seems to do. Uh, he does. Uh, he, he goes for the low probability stuff quite a bit. And so people will call him a nut. They'll compare him to a, uh, to you know, online Ken, flowchart Ken, sort of a thing, doing DPS when he probably shouldn't, things like that. But I, in watching, I don't think that that's really where Jobin's at. I think that there's eh, part of it might be that, but there's more to the story than that. All right, and that's as far as I'll go for, for right now on the Jobin thing, because the other thing that I watched over this last week was um, Studio A24's Uncut Gems oh. film with Adam Sandler, yeah, which I've been hearing about. It came out, I think, around Christmas time, and, you know, I, don't worry, I won't spoil anything, so if you haven't seen it, I, I do highly recommend it, as I'll get into here in a second, and bear with me, because there's going to be a little stint here without fighting game stuff, but... Uh, Uncut Gems is a uh, well, it's it's definitely a roller coaster ride of a movie, and the the creators of it, the directors, do an expert job at making you feel constantly uncomfortable, constantly in chaos, and constantly on the edge. In fact, my uh, fiance and I, we had to watch it in two parts. We watched it the like about the first half of it one night, and then she said, "I can't do this anymore. There's just too much." chaos going on and we had to finish it the next night did the filmmakers just try to simulate like what's going on in real life right now is that is that what they did <laughs> <That's> about, <laughs> that sounds, well, you know, it sounds like my life right now so yeah yes getting bombarded from every angle possible is and okay so let me get into it because i also come from a, a background of of film exploration and making and such like a, that's what i went to college for was film and television and th this was a hair away, Uncut Gems is a hair away from being a film student's bad thesis project. 
And by that I mean, now let me give you an example. Uh, this isn't directly what happens in the movie, but it, it's it's close enough that it gives you an example of what happens. So um, this main character is a uh, a jewelry store owner, a very Jewish jewelry store owner in I think it's 2010 or 2012 New York. Okay, and it's kind of just a day in the life of this guy's chaotic world. Um, so what might happen? An example of a fairly chaotic scene, and this travels throughout almost all of the movie at any given point. But maybe he's in his store and he's got a customer yelling at him about in a transaction they had just made. And so that is where the focus starts, right? And it's this yelling match back and forth. But while that's going on, the phone rings. And so Adam Sandler's character picks up the phone and the customer's still yelling. But now you got like maybe his girlfriend or something yelling at him on the other end of the phone. And both things are happening simultaneously. And the focus doesn't fall on one or the other. Neither one kind of fades to the background. Hmm. So now you're juggling these two things at once. And you're rooting for Adam Sandler's character because he's charismatic um, to, to a good degree. Uh, okay, so then maybe he he uh, looks into his shop and there's this big time. Um, uh, it's obvious Kevin Garnett is in the movie, the like the actual basketball star, and he plays himself. But he looks up and he sees Kevin Garnett in his shop and sees, oh my gosh, the opportunity here, you know, to meet this guy and to make a sale or something. So now you got three things because now he's his focus is I want to get back into the main floor and talk to this guy, but I got to deal with the phone and I got to deal with this customer yelling at me. And then he glances over at the security cameras, which uh, have a feed for out in front of his shop. And there are some shady, like maybe some some mob mafia guys trying to get in the front. Oh. And now you have all of these different things going on simultaneously and you got to fix them or you got to see how they're going to get fixed. And none of them are highlighted or, or prioritized. So you don't know where to put your own focus and you are, as soon as you think about one, you got to care about the others. And that kind of a thing will happen a lot in a, like I said, a poor film student's film because they're not t paying attention to all of the different aspects, right? Uh, but on, f on further inspection, I go, you know what? Even though it was very uncomfortable and chaotic to try to get through, it never actually lost me. Hmm. And then as I think about it further... I wouldn't necessarily put it into the realm of total chaos. I think that's actually hyper perfectly ordered bits of chaos that take an expert's hand to put together in such a way where that collision never actually happens and you never actually lose your audience to it. You keep you take them and you put them on the brink for so long and it put, it makes you feel a certain kind of way, but I, it never goes too far. I, I have to interrupt you because you just did a huge oxymoron of perfectly ordered chaos. It's like mm -hmm. it, it, now you've got my interest. Let me yeah, let me yeah, let me show yeah. you. Okay, so so if, if one of the, the first way I was going to describe it was like a freeway with no lines, and all the cars are going a hundred miles per hour, and they're going at any and every angle, and at any moment you just know that first impact, that huge boom of the first crash is going to happen, and then the ensuing. 500 car pileup is going to happen after that. It's that constant state of potential, right? But um, I, I think there's an even better metaphor that kind of emerged because as a jewelry store owner, and this is you know a story about him, there's a lot of uh, like watches, like Rolex watches that'll come up in the film and whatnot. And if you think about a film as a watch and you open up that face and you look inside and you see all the gears working perfectly and rhythmically together at any point and, um, and, and making the whole thing go, if uncut gems were a watch and you opened it up 
all of the gears would be weirdly shaped. There'd be a square and there'd be a weird L and a triangle and they would all be going at different speeds and they'd be moving around. And again, it'd be that sense of it's just going to take one of them to incorrectly line up with another and they're going to get stuck and then the whole chain reaction is going to happen and the whole thing's going to explode. But what actually happens is every time one of those gears lines up with another one, some weird imperfection will line up with a groove in the other one and they will just perfectly kiss and go their own ways and the like the explosion never actually happens and in order to do that in order to thread that needle so perfectly is a tour de force of 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 film creation i thought and i was i was very impressed by it and so now back to jobin man this guy seems to pull everything that he does out of his butt and it just kind of just sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't uh and and it's easy to begin to say that jobin is very much like those you know random online players that are just throwing out dps as flail moves uh, but similar to the way that uh and and there's the metaphor doesn't perfectly line up because i don't think you know, Jobin's not winning tournaments and he's not even making top eights and top 16s consistently, but he is giving players like Tokido a run for their money with an approach that doesn't usually yield those kind of results. And so I wouldn't say that Jobin is the same as random online scrub 15 or like Gandhi, the infamous Gandhi, <laughs> um, who we all remember from street fighter four just basically a, a player that figured out how to do reuse special moves and then spammed them and won a match on stream against a player that he quote unquote should have lost to in, a, in the competitive realm. And the reason I say that is because like I think Gandhi was a luck of the uh, the stars aligning at the right place, right time, and it never really happened again. As far as I know, there was never another Gandhi round that that caught anybody's attention. But it, it happened there, and, and that's going to happen every so often, right? But Jobin recreates this. Jobin goes reasonably far in tournaments. Jobin knows what he's doing. He has a, a, a clear sense of footsies. He has a clear sense of you know setups. He knows what the opposing players can do, and he respects that at certain times. But then at the same time, if you watch this footage with uh, against Okido, and I, and I did a story. You can go back and check out the story on the front page. Um, to see exactly how it goes down. But there are sequences where he does six Nikali ground pounds in a row to Tokido. Jeez. And Tokido, I don't know if he j- jumps in on the last one, but Tokido blocks most of them, gets hit by some of them, and bottom line is they're they're effective as Jobin uses them. Another example is he has Tokido cornered. And what does he do? He jumps over Tokido, thus cornering himself with a cross-up, which is already a bad call, you know, technically speaking, if you're playing by the numbers. Hits Tokido with the cross-up, drops the combo and goes for a command grab and you're like what like that was a bad idea technically in the first place and then but it worked out but then you didn't even take advantage of the reward you luckily got and you went for something else completely uh and and it's like this is just total chaos and it's fun in the same way that watching gandhi was pretty fun um but what it what i would argue though is that Jobin is closer to that expert control of chaos than he is just a flailing online scrub 15. Um, And I think that I come from a similar place in my approach to fighting games as Jobin in that we kind of rely more on, I I would be willing to bet, Jobin relies more on emotion and feel 
of what his intuition tells him to do in the moment than he does studying frame data. I might be wrong, but I'm gonna I'd put some money on the fact that that's how Jobin approaches these games, and his intuition is just so on point that he can actually take uh, approaches that are technically low um, low probability for you know having a positive outcome and he can figure out where to place them where they actually have a higher probability and they work more often um, and to have that kind of intuition and that vision and he may not even be able to articulate that because I know that it's taken a long time for me to kind of hash this out because I'm, I'm just playing by feel and whatnot not really thinking actively about it but there is something there mm -hmm. that is important and to be able I guess I'm talking more to the scientific frame data types don't um, don't be too quick to say that that approach just objectively doesn't work. I think there's a certain um, sense of learn the rules so that you can break them uh, that goes into this style of play. And so where I see a lot of chaos and flailing, uh, I don't necessarily see that with Jobin. And I think that was worth pointing out. And there's there's certainly more to be mined there out of it. And I don't know exactly what all the, the further takeaways might be. But I could see some consistencies between the, uh, the, the early and the later perceptions of both watching Jobin and watching Uncut Gems and then digging a little deeper and seeing some, uh, some bigger significant uh, aspects of it and takeaways. That was a, a beautiful illustration that you, you put out there with it. It's, it's compelling uh, to see those kind of two things come together. And uh, I'm a big advocate for controlled chaos that that can work, especially with a character like Nikali. People yeah. get stuck in that there's only one way to play a fighting game or only two ways or something like that. And there's no way that you, if you don't play exactly like Tokido or Punk or whatever, you just aren't going to have success. Well, that's not true. Uh, much like Bonchan said, like, look, I can do certain things better than Punk can with Karen. I don't try to replicate exactly how he plays. I have my own style, my own thing. But you you do that own style, and especially if it's very unorthodox like Jobin is, then everyone just, you know, ridicules you for, for being scrubby and playing in the wrong way and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. They do that until you're highly successful. Because clearly, it wasn't all those years of work that you put in there. It was only once you won Evo or Capcom Cup that you actually got good, right? It wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. it's, I remember people just laughing at Luffy and stuff like that until you want Evo. And it's the old phrase, right? You can't argue with success. But again, success comes from so much dedication and time. It is, it's, people see the culmination of it. They don't often appreciate and respect the work that goes into it beforehand. And I respect someone like Jobin, much like I respected someone like Punko, where they're players who are gifted at betting it and their hard reads, their intense reads, uh, maybe they're not as hard as we think, right? Maybe they're, they're more soft reads for other players. They have a style to them. They have the ability to play that way. And he, Jobin's successful enough. Like, I don't know like what his success to time put in ratio is, but I assume it's pretty good. You know, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of players, they hold down jobs or they have other obligations. They're not able to play as much as some of the top end players. That's all right. You know, you're, you're hoping for success on the level of the top time you put in right you're hoping for efficiency there and I look at Jobin as like yeah that that guy's good like he's ultimate grandmaster he's in tournament he's a threat to you know to do damage every tournament he's in and he's fun to watch and it's like um you know I not everyone's in there to be the best player on the planet right some people are just in to have fun and really enjoy themselves um mm -hmm. and I look at Jobin as like yeah dude like I want to watch every single time he's on stream you know, like I want to see that. Uh, and it, some people, again, I want to back up here and say some people will say like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to be the best. 
most people really do not have the the work ethic and the the ability to be disciplined enough to be the best. Um, for myself, again, I I have no intention of being the best in Street Fighter Five or any Street Fighter game for that matter. The, those days are long gone for me. I I just enjoy playing it, and I'm very happy with just um, you know picking up the game and playing it. That's that fulfills me really well. Um, and again, it's like it's like picking up a guitar and you know you can play the guitar and have fun with it and learn a few songs without ever trying to be the best guitar player that's ever lived. You know, like you don't have to be that to enjoy it. And that's how I look at fighting games a lot. It's like, you can really appreciate them uh, at whatever level you happen to be at. Well, and also with this approach, he does reasonably well competitively, but like Jobin's one of the first names that come up in my mind when I think about esports potential, mm. you know, like a personality. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he's like to, to talk to because of the language barrier and I've never seen him, you know, I've, I've never really seen his IRL personality, but you can certainly, you can spot Jobin from a mile away when he's playing the game. As far as like, if you can see the screen, you can see how the, the characters are acting on the, on the screen. And um, and so like there's there's a lot of different ways to quote unquote win or be successful in this arena, and not all of them are just you have to win Evo or something like that. Yeah. And to keep an open mind about it, it's like the, you don't throw everything out that Tokido or Punk or whoever does. Like there's a reason why they're successful in the way they are, and there's a lot to learn from that. And most of it is stuff that you can just take to heart and say this is objectively true. But don't put yourself in so much of a box because. Uh, you know, like the uncut gems and the and the way that they approached that movie. I don't think that a, a, you know a, a major, a, a regular old big studio as they exist today would have been okay with that. Mm-hmm. I think you have to take a chance to even begin to make a movie like that. And surely, like you know, A twenty four isn't the biggest. They have a lot of uh, you know, it's a, it's an independent film. You probably couldn't get it because the the bigger studios are just too rigid now in what they. Well, like in their formulas and how they quote unquote know how to objectively make a money making movie and sure there's I'm sure there's a lot of truth and they've done their research there but man we have an absolute gem in Uncut Gems mm-hmm. now and that only happens because of people being open enough to try these new crazy seemingly uh, almost like the wrong way of doing things but it actually ended up being a very difficult but expertly performed uh, dance right on that line of the wrong way of doing things and the result was an absolute awesome film that I highly rec- highly recommend to anybody listening. Mm. Yeah, speaking of the wrong way of doing things, we had an online tournament this weekend. Oh man. <laughs> Let me tell you about how much uh, how wrong online is. Uh, we had the Blink All-Star Challenge uh, with some excellent players involved like Idom, Knuckledo, Mena RD, Rob TV, Dual Kevin, Kaba, and even more, even more than that, playing for about $5,000 in prizes. And I wanted to give a breakdown of the tournament and the, some of the advantages. Yes, I'm saying advantages. I'm not even joking of playing online over offline tournaments. And I know right then I'm, I've already lost like half the audience, but please do bear with me here. Uh, to We're practicing our open minds, John, yeah. so we, we, you still have our full attention. All right, I, I appreciate that. But to get started, <laughs> some of the matches definitely look laggy, right? Like, and maybe some of them weren't the best quality. Like I have to admit that right from the get go because I, 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 you know, I don't want everyone to, to take off on me. I think maybe they were playable, maybe not. Like it's hard to say without filling the latency for myself. But you know, yeah. Um, but then you had a set like Shine and El Chicote, uh, and if you didn't know it was online and you told people it was an offline set, I bet it would be pretty convincing. It was back and forth with nice adaptations. Uh, it looked very smooth gameplay wise. I don't know how it felt for the competitors, but it looked great. It looked like an offline set. 
Um, and some matches I think would have been the exact same if they were played offline. Um, but a few were questionable, right? Like, I, I mean, it's, it's like you see someone get three would and it's like, yeah, online probably didn't impact that at all. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I felt like just going into it, it was like, man, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that this, this worked. So, um, while I was watching this, however, it got me thinking about off-stream matches because we run open tournaments in the FGC so often and how online is actually going to be exceptional at handling those. You never miss a match because the replay is there and easily accessible for anyone. Plus, you can look at things like frame data and inputs, and those are just things that are not available with offline tournaments. If there's a match that wasn't streamed that you really want to see, the replay is pretty much available instantly. You don't have to like wait for shaky cam footage to get uploaded like the next day or two. Shout out to the people who do that. But I mean, it sucks when you really want to like see a match and how it went down and you just you have to count on luck of the draw that wasn't even recorded. Like what happened? What were the results? All this kind of stuff. Well, that changes completely with offline tournaments, at least for the most of the modern games that have a good replay system, because boom, I can pull it up right then, right there. And it's just full access. I can watch it 50 times. I can do whatever and stuff like that. It's just it's great. So a secondary thing that offline uh, tournaments basically never have is access to frame data and inputs. For people like me who are really into frame data and looking at advantage, like uh, plus minus kind of situations and stuff like that, this is really nice to have. There are, there are several more layers to explore here, as you might find that Tokido consistently presses buttons when he's negative because he knows that he won't be challenged because he's Tokido, right? Like, you're not going to challenge me. I'm playing Akuma and all this kind of stuff. Or you can see if a specific setup or mix-up is legit or not. I love being able to do this like back like in rank play and other things is go back and look at replays, see how an, uh, a setup is done with the inputs and everything like that, and then look at the frame data and then see where the gaps exist and see how legitimate this stuff is. Because I think that people are going to be very surprised how often tournament level players are training other people not to hit buttons and to not even challenge what they're doing. Uh, they are unsafe way more often than people realize. It's just they are so good at programming their opponents to just not even try to do anything that they have a lot of success they're just they're terrific at it but but yeah now are you are you speaking specifically about street fighter 5 and the online like the cfn um uh, attributes that they like allow you to do this the the specific uh replays and how you can see that you know slow down and all that stuff and see advantage and see inputs and whatnot because that game gives you that yes i i'm specifically speaking about street fighter 5, but i do know other games have similar features are the same ones um but mm-hmm. yeah street fighter 5 in particular okay yeah, and I've said it before. I I I'm super against the idea of just automatically throwing, uh, you know, basically developing teams and saying online's, you know, okay and and good and the best, or and then offline's okay and good and the best, and you can only have one and not the other. It's like let's be more nuanced and explore the positives of of both sides and not pretend like I don't think anyone's saying online and offline are the same thing. They're not the same thing, and that's okay. But we can explore the the wins that online tournament play and competition does afford us, and and hey, we can we can use those, and we can, I mean, maybe kind of even even carve out an entire other aspect to the competitive crowd where we go, yeah, maybe it's different to win an online and offline tournament, but like you know, both there's there's room for both things at the same time, and I think that's the best case scenario for us, and and in exploring things like this and facets where you have a little advantages that you might not have in offline events and whatnot is, is a positive thing to do. 
Right. And, and I agree with you. And um, it's we, we just need to be open to it. I'm, I'm trying to give people concrete reasons to work off of like, hey, these are advantages that we legitimately have with doing online tournaments. Uh, again, not a replacement, but, you know, tangible things we can work with. Uh, now, I'm going to list a third thing here, and this is a bit more subjective than the other two points. Um, so but for me, when I'm watching someone hit combos and online latency, I know that their execution is just top tier. Because lag is probably going to get involved at some point, and if the player can still hit their combos in latency, it's just impressive to me. And you see some of the huge combos take place, and in my opinion, they're super hyped because of it. Like it, it might be like kind of like whatever you know in, in an offline setting, but like they're much more like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he hit that with like you know crazy ass latency going on. But for example, some of the combos that Idom was hitting, even though lag was clearly happening, are just awesome. Idom is spectacular to watch to begin with, but particularly his poison is a thing of beauty to watch, like him versus Kaba. Like, it was mad entertaining because he's setting up all these baits, he's hitting all these long combos, and it's just like he's not missing a beat. And I'm like, dude, you are a god. How are you doing this? Like, this is this is so phenomenal. And again, you get it. It's like, Idom won the whole thing, and he won Capcom Cup. Like, it's hard to get more legit than that, and you're like, dude, like, this guy plays online quite a bit to be as good as he is. Um, and it's just, again, it's more validation for the thing. It's I get it as subjective. Like, you know, it's like, it could work the other way. Like, you know, hey, you're having latency, and, you know, you're so much more likely to drop a combo. I, yes, I agree. But the fact that you're able to land that, to get it consistently, like, I'm like, dude, like, that's going to transfer very well to offline. Because, again, latency happens, someone bumps into you, a bunch of other things, nerves kick in, right? Uh, and your ability to to weather that storm that's happening, it, it's just, again, knowing that's happening online, like, it, it was all the more impressive to me to just see him, like, his his execution was just as good online as it was offline from what I saw. There's a little bit of a tangent I want to go on uh, in in this realm that I wanted to ask you about, and I don't know that we would even necessarily have an answer to this yet, so it's cool if you don't, but these online tournaments are being uh, commentated, a lot of them, more and more. Mm -hmm. Online tournaments, online events, and whatnot. And when lag spikes up, I haven't watched them all, but the ones that I have seen, the lag does not get acknowledged by the commentators. Yeah, and and I get that, right? Because because that's a big like, oh well, it's it's invalidating what we're doing in front of us. You don't want to draw attention to it, but at the same time, it's not surprising to anyone. No one's going in expecting there not to be lag and, and saying like, oh well, then see this happens and that invalidates it. I think you should just embrace what it is at any point in time like this is what playing online is right now and this is part of the very real and potential uh you know wheel of things that could be happening and probably will happen so i i'm, I'm wondering is it best to approach that kind of a thing with this more like a, a you know political or, or corporately clean like oh we're not even going to acknowledge that it just you know brush it on the rug cut away talk over it say oh man he dropped that combo that's too bad maybe maybe he hasn't been practicing when it's obvious lag like things like that make me cringe while watching yeah. these things but i wonder like what's the right way to approach it should we should we acknowledge it should we try to sweep it under the rug until it's no longer as much of a thing anymore as technology advances like 
How do we how do we go about that? I, I always think you want to be truthful for whoever you're talking to. You never want to lie to people. It's people, especially when it's obvious that you're not being upfront. You know, and I think there's an infamous Nintendo example where they're playing Smash Ultimate and it's lagging like crazy, and they're like they cut away and they're like, "Don't worry, the players are definitely not feeling this latency and everything is fine." And it's like, uh, yeah. "Oh my, really? You're gonna spit that garbage at, at your you know your viewers and stuff like that's because there you're pretending like offline and online are the same thing, yeah. or, or you're or you're 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 pointing to that as if as if that were the case, and it's like get miss me with all that yeah. lie. I, I think that, um, and again, also playing online quite a bit. You and I both know this. Or if you're focused on the latency, you're probably giving yourself a pretty big disadvantage here. And and so with a commentator t- uh, team, I think that when it's bad, when it's particularly egregious, they definitely should acknowledge it and be like, yeah, this is a thing. Let's see how the players kind of power through it and get through it. It's, you know, um, we've compared this before, like having rain or snow in football. Like how are the players going to deal with this? Uh, it's not ideal. It sucks. But, you know, how do they respond? Um, and that's, I, I think, when it's a, a, a pretty clear factor, you have to acknowledge it. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. because you do have matches where that's not, you can clearly see it's not happening that much. At least you, you assume it is. Again, it's, it's really hard to say unless you're on the joystick, right? Or, you know, pad or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, I think, how to deal with it. You, you got to be transparent, man. Or I think you really hurt, like, your, your, the whole process. You, you're disrespecting your audience at that point. Yes, yes. And and so as we move forward through this and I've really begun to delve into this, that's one of the things where I go, that needs to get nipped in the bud, I think. It seems like we're on about the same page about this. And I, I'm still exploring it. So there might be more information that comes down the pike that I go, oh, well, maybe I need to reform how I think about this. But so far, that seems to be um, in that camp of of trying to, like I said, pretend that offline and online are, are more or less the same thing. And it's like they're not and they don't need to be. Stop it with that right now. Let's let them be their own things and appreciate them for what they are. Take the good with the bad. Acknowledge it all and just move forward in that style. So um, that's kind of where I get off on that uh, particular subject, too. I, I think that we should be acknowledging lag and and accepting it for what it is but not trying to sweep it under the rug i completely agree so um, another a couple of the problems though actually is there's a sync thing um when you're uh, and that's S-Y-N-C, sync. Um, and that's when you first join a matchup in Street Fighter V, sometimes it kind of starts without you and you're kind of like playing catch up and whatnot. And, oh, and then the Dragon Ball Z fight. Exactly. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So in my thing about that is I personally feel like knowing a bit about how these games work and stuff, I think this could definitely be fixed with some effort on Capcom's end. It, it, it does mean you're missing the starts of rounds more often than it should happen. I want to say that it happens about once every five games, you know, and I don't mean sets, but I mean games uh, and it does hurt the viewing experience for the stream it's kind of like ah, oh, this sucks a bit right um and that's something i'd like to see capcom like kind of polish up i i think that was a little bit of a shortcut or a little bit of like we don't care enough about this to fix it um, but i do think it's something that is very fixable for them and yeah then the other thing uh, that was a bit of a negative here and i i've got to own this because again being transparent and honest about this stuff uh, when I was first watching this tournament, even for me, even as much as I, I've advocated for online, and I've been about as hardcore as an advocate for it, I think, in the community, right? I had a little bit of a mental hang up of saying to myself, well, this is not that valid. 
And I'm like, oh man, like because I'm I I watch a lot of tournaments. I'm this is like a huge part of my job. I take this very seriously and other stuff. And even in the back of my head, because it's something that we don't do very often in the fighting game community, online events and taking them seriously. I even me, I'm like, oh man, there's a mental hurdle I've got to jump over here. And it just took me a bit. It took me about you know three four sets into the tournament, and I'm like, man, I'm seeing the same stuff that I would see offline. Like this is fine. Like it. And then there was a few matches here, which I'll get into in just a second that were definitely not that way but it did take me a bit to do it and if man if i've been this much of an advocate for online and it took me a bit like i can't hold the fgc to a different expectation it's gonna take a while for people to warm up to this idea it's just human nature this it's it's what the fgc is known for we take a while to warm up for things and we've been playing online for a long time like we've been playing online for like even the super nintendo it had online play through the x-band which i played and stuff like that we've been doing this but it's only now that we're making kind of real efforts to make online a valid thing this is kind of like the first big push we've had to ever like make it a thing like from the developers from the community and all that kind of stuff uh and so i I can preach up and down about it, but it is going to take a while for it to get, you know, for it to click for people. I'm trying to conceptualize this for myself, but then also to be able to, to talk about it with, you know, other people and such. And it's like, well, we are interested in seeing how well Tokido can open someone up and then perform a combo, right? Mm-hmm. Once he's gotten that hit. We're not so interested in seeing whether or not Tokido can perform that combo with the uh, introduction of lag. In fact, that kind of puts a, a, a drop of ink in the well mm-hmm. um, to an extent. And and so as you're talking about where you feel like suddenly it's not valid anymore, there's an inclination toward that, it's because something like that, you know, because now you're seeing whether or not Tokido can do this within, you know, can, can, can he do the combos and, and, and everything else that's required with the lag present? It's like we're not so interested in that part of it. Uh, I don't know, but it's it's like a different thing. There are other things you can hold on to. It's like whether or not Tokido can can do it after, like can can recover after having had yeah. that happen to him. Yeah. I don't know, but nah, it's hard. There's actually a great example of that, and that's Knuckle Do. And I think he in particular struggled with some stuff that I don't see him drop in tournaments like he did here. Uh, it would have been maybe the worst tournament performance I've seen him from him since he won Capcom Cup if this was an offline event. Uh, I saw him miss anti-airs. I saw him miss combos. And I think he is an example of a player that traditionally is going to just do a lot better offline than online. Uh, I know he plays online. It's like he's a grandmaster, all that kind of stuff. Like he trains there. He does stuff there, but he's an offline player. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's, again, going to be the culmination of, of all of our tournaments, right? We're going to have them offline. That's what they need to be. But I don't know. Maybe he can adapt to it. Maybe he can get there. But like it's like MK Leo and Smash and stuff. Like people are kind of laughing at him. And like I get it's mostly trolling saying he's washed up and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, just wait. <laughs> wait till the offline tournaments happen again. He'll, he'll be just fine. Uh I do look at Knuckle Do like as a, a shining example of like, yeah, I don't think he's really an online player and he doesn't need to be like, he's, he's perfectly fine in the offline setting. He's great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but on the other end of the, the, the spectrum here, uh, stuff like Mika's drop kick, like, you know, it's a hold uh, stand heavy kick, right? Brian F mm-hmm. would jab Knuckle Do and other players out of that. Like, I mean, I'm talking about latency Knuckle Do matches. Well, it's Brian F versus him. And that is a very much a pure reactionary type of thing. Uh, you see Mika's drop kick and you have a handful of frames to, you know, hit her out of it basically. Right. And, and Brian F is doing it consistently. 
And, and it's like some people say, oh, that's impossible. It's like, no, I mean, he's sitting here doing it, right? So you can mm -hmm. train yourself to deal with online. And I mean, that does sharpen. We've seen with IDOM, it sharpens your reaction, it sharpens your execution. I'm not saying online is for everyone, but I'm saying for the people it does work for, it can work very well. Yeah, and there and it's fun to watch that, and it's and it's something like well, obviously right now it's something when we otherwise have nothing, and so that's a positive too. Yeah, I'm thinking about Knuckledoo and and what you were saying about lag and such, and you know a lot of the times we resort to examples of like a dropped combo because of lag, right, or or a reaction like maybe an anti air that you didn't get in time that you would have offline but you didn't online because there is a lag or something like that, and that's all. Those are all pretty egregious examples. But for me, the biggest thing about it, as I've been actively aware of online play while I'm doing it, is when something happens and then after. Like after that missed anti-air or that dropped combo, now your brain and your subconscious mm -hmm. and sometimes your conscious begins to actively try to make up for that in your regular play. And then there isn't lag, but you're playing with like a kind of a slightly altered rhythm to make up for the lag that you just experienced. And then your regular move doesn't work because of the lag. And <laughs> I mean, that's, I guess that factors into the, uh, if you're an online player, online warrior, you have to be able to make those um, adjustments and, and play through those kind of things and play efficiently through those kind of things. But for me, that's where I get hung up the most is because I start to play quote unquote with the lag in mind. Mm -hmm. And then, oh man, and how much does it hurt when you screw up because, because it's your fault because there wasn't lag and you were playing as if there was lag. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the worst. But yeah, yeah now, um, and I agree with you. That's, it's definitely a thing. Um, and, uh, the thing about it is being able to let it go and just move on from it, yeah. as you mentioned. And I actually think that helps you offline as well, too, because it's, um, it's Serlin's playing to win. He talks about like, um, oh, I didn't, you know, execute and like do my crouching medium kick to fireball, right? Like, well, I can throw a fireball. Let me show you. Like, I can definitely do it. And it's like the other players going, you're going to throw a fireball? I'm going to jump on you and kill you. Like, what are you doing? You know, kind of thing. It's like you get hung up on missing, messing up on your execution and you like want to prove it to yourself or the other player that you can actually do the move. It's like, duh, I know you can throw a fireball. Now you're going to die, you know, kind of thing, because it's, it's that mental hang up and whatnot. And I think that if you like offline play uh, and you know with on online play you you kind of want to get over that as quickly as humanly possible and just forget about it with latency and other things and i i do think that transfers it's a skill that transfers to offline at least again i think it does for me but i can't speak for everyone for some people it's it's too big of a mental hurdle to get over right and and that's okay so so all in all um, just to, to put a bow on this i think it was good i don't think it was great uh, for that to happen, we need a bit more time to wrap our brains around this experience and get everything a little bit better. There's a few, you know, loose ends that, you know, maybe maybe some of the players, like, they have to be in a certain region or have this quality of connection or something like that to get an invite. Uh, maybe there's a few other things that can happen, like with improvements to the netcode, you know, they're, they fix a few loose ends and whatnot. Um, and I think that there's a there's a potentially great online experience, tournament viewing experience for viewers out there. I don't think we're there yet, but this is what I talked about before with, like, stepping stones we need to have these other experiences kind of going on so we can build upon them we got to start somewhere and i think this was a good start i would i'm going to preface this by saying this is not apples to apples so don't take it as such but there are i think some similarities or some threads that do connect these two ideas and that you can use in both arenas and so i'll say this online is an offline and um it's not the same thing but 
if you look back through all of the fighting games we've played up until this point, there's been a lot of learning and a lot of progress made in the way these games are designed. And I'm just talking about offline play. But we look back to Street Fighter 2 and we look back with much reverence and it's a great game and it's a lot of fun. But there are certain aspects of it, and this is true for virtually every fighting game, uh, where it's clear that there are parts of like the balance or the design or whatever that are broken that would never fly by today's standards of a fighting game, right? Where if these things are in there, one, they're probably just going to get hot patched or hot fixed and, and quickly patched away so that they're not part of the game anymore. But there are just some lessons learned where, where we accepted them back then because it was what we had and then we wouldn't accept them now. And both things were true, you know? And then when we still revere these games and we acknowledge them even with the faults that they had. So what I'm thinking is maybe we can take a little bit of that attitude and say, we're going to play and we're going to do the most with what we have right now with online. And it's a little bit different because you're kind of going backwards in a sense because now you're dealing with something that you haven't had to deal with in the past instead of it just being the norm and something that you have to deal with so you just do because it's either that or you don't have the game at all. And well, hey, that has become the case recently with COVID and such. But moving forward when it's no longer the the situation and we have the option for both, Maybe there's a little bit of that attitude that we've had previously with accepting that, yes, things are probably going to get better and we're going to continue to learn lessons, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to play Third Strike right now because we know that that games will get refined in the future, you know, and so maybe that approach would be a little bit healthy to apply to uh, when we're when we're looking and consuming online content. Sounds good to me. <laughs> all right, y'all. That's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. Yes, thank you guys. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll see you next week.